0: Crush your menopause sugar cravings in time for warm weather fun with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. Delicious, keto, and intermittent fasting friendly. These bars help women manage weight and energy during all stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code KATIE10. Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. Do you remember Jazzercise and the Jane Fonda workout? How about step aerobics? Even if you weren't busting out those VHS tapes or scrunched up leggings, there is no doubt that they penetrated your consciousness. In fact, when I say Jane Fonda workout, you probably see her famous sweatband headband in your mind's eye. My guest today has done a deep historical dive into how the women's exercise movement grew from being considered scandalous, even dangerous, into a multi-billion dollar industry that is so omnipresent in our cultural psyche that we have Jane Fonda's headband and leg warmers imprinted in our brain and no corner of America untouched by yoga studios or CrossFit. Danielle Friedman is an award-winning print and TV journalist whose feature writing has appeared in The New York Times, The Cut, Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Glamour, and Health Magazine, among others. She joins me today to talk about her book, Let's Get Physical, how women discovered exercise and reshaped the world. Welcome, Danielle.
1: Hi, thank you so much
0: for having me. I'm really excited. This is a topic that, um, you know, my my guests have asked for more coverage on. They're curious about health. They're, you know, curious about fitness. I'm excited to explore some of the backstories behind Mm. why we all care. Um, But I want to start with some stage setting. What inspired you to write this book?
1: The book began in a very um, kind of organic way. Um, About five years ago, I ventured into my first boutique fitness studio. It was a bar studio and it was for a very cliched reason that I'm always a little bit sheepish to talk about, but (laughs) I was, I was getting married. (laughs) And so, um, I, you know, while I sort of the feminist in me felt a little bit hesitant, I, I had heard great things about bar. I'm also a runner and some of my runner friends raved about how strong it made them. And I just, I, I was curious. So I started taking bar. I was, I loved how it made me feel. It really did give me a kind of full body strength that I had never experienced. Um, but I also became really curious about Kind of the larger bar subculture and the origins and in particular I noticed that many of the moves in class had this sort of um felt almost kind of comically erotic but nobody was really acknowledging it like there was a lot of pelvic thrusting and um bar is is largely based on the the pelvic tilt and I started exploring. I thought, you know, maybe I would write a a piece about it. Um, Well, the story that I discovered was way more interesting than what I was anticipating. I learned that Barr was invented in the late 1950s by a woman named Lottie Burke, who was a German refugee living in London. And sure enough, that sort of erotic thread was not an accident. She was very ahead of her time in being very um, sexually open. She was sort of a foremother of the sexual revolution. She encouraged women to connect with their physicality in her classes and to enjoy sex for themselves, which was really radical at the time. And she, you know, she began teaching one of the first ever kind of group fitness classes for women and, um, became a fixture of the swinging sixties. So, Long story short, I, I wrote about her for New York Magazine's The Cut, and while I was researching that piece, I, I quickly saw that there was a much bigger story here, and I was shocked to discover that nobody had told it. it. It actually, at one point, I thought, you know, for some historical context, I'd love to talk to the author of the book about the history of women's fitness, and I that I discovered that book didn't exist. You wrote it, Daniel. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) I saw need and, uh, and I really did. I really did set out the book that I wanted set out, excuse me, to write the book that I wanted to read. I love hidden histories and, um, you know, just cultural histories of how, of kind of the everyday of how things came to be. And, um, I hope that I I did this one justice.
0: Yeah, that's such a cool backstory. I actually have some friends who are obsessed with Lottie Burke because I think um, at least back in the early like 90s, some of the studios still existed in, in Manhattan where I um, I was raised. I know Bar is national and it's all over the country, but I you know I think Lottie Burke still. What was yes. around, and I had I had friends who took her classes. So it's interesting that that was your jumping off point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the book. So she's not a household name, although Barr might be becoming a household you know name in terms of its exercise. Your mm-hmm. book does have a lot of you know big names in it, like Jane Fonda. You reminded me about Suzanne Summers and the Thigh Master. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really fun to kind of excavate some of these memories. But you also really do focus on like forgotten pioneers. Um, and you you raise names and and sort of forms of exercise that I had never heard of. Can mm-hmm. you can you put a few of those on the radar of our listeners and maybe share which you know one or two particularly spoke to you?
1: Yeah. Well, the book begins with the story of Bonnie Prudent, who was a, a fitness evangelist of the late nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties, among many other things. Um, she's sort of you know she's been called the godmother of women's fitness, but she has been largely forgotten by history. Um, Bonnie hosted one of the first ever TV fitness shows. She was also um, a fitness instructor on the kind of inaugural Today show um she was also i mean she was incredible she was a, a mountaineer and a prize skier and traveled in these exclusively male worlds at a time when that was it was you know considered pretty subversive for a woman to use her body in that way and she she really helped to lay the groundwork for, um, the rise of women's fitness over the seven decades that followed because she really worked to convince the public. It was her crusade that, you know, everyone could benefit from exercise and women in particular could benefit from a regular, really, they didn't call it this at the time, but like a strength training workout, um, but she also, she was of her time and she would tell women that um, under every muscle, excuse me, under every curve, there's a muscle. So no muscle, no curve. And there's a lot more I could say about sort of the <laughs> mixed messages that, that were being sent. But it was a savvy, a savvy marketing strategy at the time when, when society was extremely skittish about women you know, seeking out strength.
0: It's so fascinating, and it's so interesting that the, you know it is so radical for the time, and and your book really is about this sort of paradigm shift that you that you chronicle that you know women have been you know quote you know viewed as the weaker sex, and mm-hmm. they came to appreciate the uh, necessity or their ability to make their bodies strong, and and the book is just chock full of amazing facts. You know, you shared with me, I didn't know this, that up until the 1970s, common wisdom held that it was dangerous for women to mm-hmm. run more than a few miles at a time. You know, women were banned from road races. That there is that, you know, his, that moment in history where I'm forgetting her name, that first woman who... Jumped into a marathon. You blew my mind when you shared that the sports bra was not invented until Mm -hmm. 1977. I was like, "That's insane!" Um, Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's there's so much wonderful and rich and interesting details in this that that um, I think that the listeners would love to explore. That will surprise them. What, if anything, surprised you?
1: I was just continually surprised by how recent so much of this history. Is you know, like the sports bra. I have to say, the sports bra was sort of the example that I can cont- that I always came back to. Um, because the fact that it wasn't invented until 1977 really does speak to the fact that women um moved in a you know kind of intentional way for so so little for so long. Um, I think many many young women today and even even like middle-aged women don't remember a time when um or let's really like a pre the a time pre-Title IX or a time when women weren't encouraged to sweat, to go to the gym. Um and it's it's you know, it's 45 years ago. So um I was just shocked by how you know how many of these myths and fears about women's bodies and propriety kind of persisted throughout the seventies, even into the eighties, um, and how how recently the kind of opportunity and access that many people have today came about?
0: It's so it's it's absolutely mind blowing. When we uh, come back from this quick commercial break that we're about to head into, I want to ask you about who or what took it from this sort of um nascent stage and it sort of helped explode it into the larger cultural um consciousness where you know whereby no women our age can can remember a time when women were encouraged to exercise mm. we'll be back after this quick break rosebud women crafts beautiful organic sexual wellness and intimate self-care products to support women in midlife their Honor Everyday Balm is a magical vulvar and vaginal moisturizer with Basso Bolo to build back skin resilience. I use it and absolutely love it. Arouse, the only three-in-one stimulating serum available on the market, enhances sensation and a woman's own lubrication. Rosebud Women also offers award-winning body care products crafted to address the top needs of women of a certain age. I use the anoint oil on both my face and body daily. It is silky, smooth, and deeply hydrating. Join Rosebud Women in a lifestyle of deep self-reverence. A Certain Age listeners who use the code KATIE10 at checkout receive 10% off their purchase. That's K-A-T-I-E-1-0. Head to rosewoman.com for beautiful sexual wellness and intimate care essentials. All right, Danielle, we were talking about how you know, most of the women that are listening to this show, they're 45, 55, 65. None Mm -hmm. of even if we don't exercise. And by the way, I put myself into that camp at different phases of my life. But even if we weren't exercising, we knew it was a thing, right? We, yeah, we saw, you know, Jane Fonda on those those VHS workout tapes, you know, we saw um, women competing in the Olympics, we, you know, we were encouraged to be active women in sports, you know, it's, I came um, of age in the college era when Title IX, you know, dramatically Mm rewrote what college campuses look like. So, you know, exercise has always been a thing. Um, I know that you track a long history. Is there one or two particular women or movements that you think really helped explode this into the larger culture? Yes. Um,
1: And I would say they are. Jane Fonda and aerobics. And those two are intertwined. Um, The rise of aerobic dancing kind of preceded Jane Fonda, actually. Um, Jazzercise and another uh, brand name called aerobic dancing were both invented in 1969. And throughout the 70s, um, aerobic dancing just became this massive cultural phenomenon. And for a lot of women, it marked the first time that they had ever really exercised in their adult lives. They might've been active as little girls, but then because of all of the doors that were closed to women for so long, when it came to athletics and using their bodies, there was really like a hard stop on, um, on physical activity. And of course, there were, you know, some women played tennis and sports, but um, at the, the kind of mass level of, of physical participation that we, you know, see today didn't really start to pick up among women until, until the 70s. And then um, it was in the very late 70s that Jane Fonda, uh, opened her first workout studio in Beverly Hills. And, um, I was surprised to learn that she actually, the reason she got into the fitness business in the first place, um, having already been a, you know, very successful, acclaimed actress and controversial activist was to, um, was to bring in money to fund her then husband, Tom Hayden's Political ambitions. And so for many years, every dime that her workout studio and books and videos made went went to her husband. Um, but in any case, Jane's studio was wildly popular. It wasn't long before she was approached about writing a book and then about making a home video. And so in 1982, when that video came out and it was Jane's original workout video, the home, the home video industry was, was really new. And she basically helped to accelerate and launch the entire home video industry. And she also brought fitness and women's fitness to a scale, you know, to the masses in a way that was unprecedented. Um, because, now you didn't need to like live near a class or a fitness center all you needed were you know was the the equipment um and so it was it was really Jane who was the first celebrity fitness influencer I love it um, I think this is such a great yeah. story
0: and, and, and it you know um you know Jane was doing this in Beverly Hills but to your point uh, I'm pretty sure we got a VHS and so my mom could like do those tapes in our living room so exactly you, you know exactly. that's it just it's something that that really um you know, it's so interesting that that she just sort of opened those doors and 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 um, connected to so many people, and then really set the the path for that. It's so fascinating. Your book explores so many interesting topics. You really uh, sort of dive into the tension around health and self esteem, body image, and and exercise. Um you, you, I would love to have you talk a little bit about what you've learned about how at one point, or not at one, but at different points, sometimes the focus of women's exercise and and, um, fitness has been around thinness, you know, and then uh, maybe sort of evolution towards, uh, you know, health and wellness versus just um, an attempt to sort of subjugate our bodies. I'm sure this tension Mm -hmm. continues today. The, The dynamic goes on. Different people will maybe struggle with different things. But give us sort of a, you know, pull back the lens, give us a wider aperture look at what you see in this evolution of um, why people exercise? Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. When I I pull back and look at this wider history, I really see the kind of central conflict over the past many decades as being um, exercise being used as a tool for liberation of women or a tool for repression and exercise being sort of very feminist, and also very patriarchal. So um, it was those tensions were one of the presented one of the great challenges of telling this story. Um, To go back to the Bonnie Pruden era, at that time, like you said, you know, people believed that if women pushed themselves Physically, their uterus could fall out or they would, you know, quote, turn into men. And there were a lot of fears and rules written and unwritten about what women could do with their bodies. And so, also a lot of bad medicine and yes. <laughs>
0: misunderstanding of biology. <laughs>
1: it's yes. Like, yes Mind blowing. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, it was a time of really strict gender norms in the post-war period and just strong women were really threatening. And so against that backdrop, um, people like Bonnie Pruden recognized that the most acceptable way or palatable way to sell fitness for women, exercise for women was to frame it as a beauty tool, um, and a way for women to become more attractive for their husbands and to, you know, shape their figure. Um, dieting was, Extremely rampant, as you know, extreme dieting and diet pills, and now. But it's interesting, actually, in mid-century America, exercise wasn't even thought it wasn't even um, a popular weight loss tool until for a while, until really like the seventies. So, throughout the decades, it's it's very interesting because as women did gain more opportunities to move and exercise and athletics as well became more socially acceptable for women. There was this sort of, at every point, there's like this cultural check where the body ideals inch further out of reach. So whereas in the fifties and sixties, everybody wanted to be really thin and to be sure, you know, there, that was very that could be very toxic. Um, now it wasn't it wasn't enough to just be thin by the end of the 70s. The ideal was also to be toned, which of course, for most women, requires work. And then heading into the 80s, Jane Fonda's physique was the ideal. And, and she's written about how even for her, her physique was almost impossible to maintain. Um, by the 90s, the body of steel, you know, abs of steel, buns of steel was this wildly popular franchise. And so you know what that represented for women again was this idea that the body had to constantly be a project that was worked on and and perfected and and a woman's work on her body was never done so um this tension exists throughout and i think you know it's part of why um exercise has been so fraught for so many women throughout history um we i do think that we we are at the very beginning of a shift um where our understanding of what a fit body looks like is expanding and we are seeing a little bit more size inclusivity in fitness but um my hope and one of my goals with the book was by sort of pulling back the curtain and opening our eyes to these the forces that have been at play in the industry we could better harness the truly beneficial healthy aspects of movement to become stronger yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know, it's
0: so it's sort of painful when you just sort of outlined what how uh, exercise and fitness was meant to shape women's bodies in different ways through these different decades. You know, mm-hmm. because you, everything that you listed, it's sort of thin or it's toned or it's you know abs of steel and buns of steel. It's like there's there's just no way you can, w- women can be all of those things, and it's that right. you, know, you have to maybe change every decade how you should be. Um, mm-hmm. And it's you know it feels. Um, painful i do think that there's more of a focus now on wellness and, and you talk a little bit about your this in your own book when you said um we sort of your own personal story mm-hmm. rather in the book and you're saying that You went to the Lottie Burke method, which, you know, which is actually you went to bar based on Lottie Burke. And that is all built around the idea of the ballerina body. Mm -hmm. And you say, quote, I didn't look like a ballerina, but I felt like one, which was so beautiful. I mean, that's sort of what the goal is. It's like you exercise to feel a certain way, Mm -hmm. to feel Mm -hmm. good and strong and um, calm or stress free or healthy or well, uh, or like you're taking care of yourself. And so... Do you see those, um, the, those sort of qualities being threaded into the modern exercise, you know, mo- methods that are popular? What, what's your take on that?
1: I, I do. I really do. And, you know, my biggest takeaway from my research um, is just that we can't go wrong with moving in ways that feel good to us. And that might be, you know, training really hard for a marathon or doing a boot camp, or it might mean taking a walk around the block. But, um, you know, when you when you separate some of the external pressures and metrics and ideals and focus on what how you actually feel, um, there are tremendous benefits to be gained. So I think that what has changed, uh, many of the fitness professionals I interviewed told me about how the language of fitness and the language they have used with their clients has really evolved over the past 10 years. Um, you know, it, it was really not that uncommon, not that long ago for fitness instructors to, to explicitly talk about getting a bikini body or, you know, changing your physical appearance, um, and that being the primary motivation. And even if that is still, even if that's still present, you know, it's not like that incentive has gone away, but at the very least, um, Many many fitness instructors wouldn't dare talk about weight loss or love handles in class today, and focus more on you know strength empowerment. It's it gets a little murky because you know I think it's hard when you're selling empowerment, sure <laughs> and, uh, commodified you know, wellness, you commodified wellness. However, I think it's progress, you know, and and also there are so many more, um, the representation that we see in fitness today and the the size inclusivity because of social media kind of ironically, because social media can be so toxic in the the body images that it presents, but also social media has allowed these fitness influencers who don't look like the typical fitness model, you know, to rise, um, in a way that they really couldn't have just 10 years ago. And so there's much, there are, there are these, Communities. There are pockets, you know, of of fitness communities that um, really advertise being inclusive and focusing on fitness really for mental health um, and and what, overall wellness. What's an example of that? I, I, I'm
0: delighted to hear this, by the way, because I had I sort of had a question, you know, like. Um, Around race and class and and, and fitness, because mm. a lot of the fitness uh, influencers that we just sort of talked about, just even the beginning part of the show, you know, are, are sort of white um, superstars. Yes, you know, Jane yes. Fonda, Suzanne Somers. These are you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, famous TV personalities. And you know, so, I want to explore this a little bit more. Tell me about how social media has impacted you know um, diversity, inclusivity, and and what's do you have one or two or three specific People or examples you can point us to.
1: Yeah. So I in the book, I write about Jessamine Stanley, who I was fortunate to interview as well. Um, Jessamine is a self-described, fat, queer uh yoga instructor. She's also black. And she um she when she first started gaining followers, she talked about how, you know, no one in the yoga business looked like her. Um, she she began because she she actually couldn't afford yoga classes at a certain point. And so she looked for community on Instagram in the early days of Instagram, began posting photos of herself asking for um, you know, guidance on her poses. And people were like, you know, she talks about how the response was like, wow, I didn't know a fat person could do yoga. And, you know, she's like, yeah, we can do all kinds of things. <laughs> and um, Imagine that. Right. Yeah. And she's just, I mean, she, she is amazing. She does a lot of her yoga in like, she likes to do it in her underwear because that's how she feels comfortable. And she's completely putting herself out there. She's gained, um, I feel, I think it's like, around half a million now Instagram followers she has been on magazine covers she has done a variety of TV commercials um and she started also a platform called the underbelly which um offers digital yoga classes so um she's been really inspiring for a lot of people i've spoken with other women who have you know were just incredibly. They learned from her. They were inspired by her, and now they've sort of started their own offshoots of what she's offering. Um, there are also, and I don't actually cover this in the book, but there are a number of small gyms and online communities that are specifically geared toward um, the LGBTQ plus community and gender nonconforming individuals, um, trans individuals who have historically um, not always felt safe in their bodies or you know lived in marginalized bodies and these gyms have recognized that that moving together in a in a safe space and in community can be really powerful and you know can create physical strength um, but also emotional strength and so it's really it's been really encouraging to see these gyms um, and these online communities pop up across the country.
0: That's so beautiful. I love that. And you you do address a little bit in the book this this notion of the benefits of group workout classes. Mm-hmm. You, you talk especially mm-hmm. for older women um, too. So it's it's fantastic that um, small gyms and communities have recognized the need for um, services in, in, in a space where people feel safe. But talk, yeah. walk us through a little bit about what um, are some of the social benefits to working out together and maybe specifically share a little bit about what you observe with uh, older women?
1: Yeah. Well, um, so I can't talk about this without thinking of my own mom who is 74 and um, who's been active most of her adult life. She became active first via aerobics in the eighties And then just a few years ago, discovered um, this cardio dance studio in her community, the area I grew up in, in suburban Atlanta, um, and has made really good friends through this studio at an age when, you know, making new friendships is not so easy. And I don't just mention my mom's story because, you know, I'm happy for my mom, (laughs) but I, her story is one that I heard repeated again and again while researching this book. And on the flip side, I also spoke with women who had been, who had been moving, whether it was running or dancing, um, with the same group of women for, you know, 40 years and talked about how they experienced life together. And so I think right now, especially, you know, this is a time of such social isolation and, um, it's these in-person opportunities to be with other people and experience things together can feel like they're dwindling. So it's, can be very powerful in that way. And I also, I can't, you know, it's also worth mentioning that research has shown that when we move with other people, and particularly when we move in sync with other people, our bodies actually produce chemicals, biochemicals that um, deepen feelings of social connection and trust and even, you know, create a feeling of having a purpose in life. So there's, there are many, many reasons if you find the right, your people, you know, to uh, move with others. That's fascinating.
0: And I and I can second
1: what you experienced,
0: you know, and share with your mother in the other interviews. I, you know, regular listeners to this podcast have heard me talk about how I play um both, you know, you know, traditional tennis and I have a group of women in my life that I call tennis friends, but they're actually just, you know, friend friends. They become Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. that are, you know, involved with, with every aspect of my life, not just tennis. And over the pandemic, when every single thing was closed, including my Bikram yoga studio, I picked up platform tennis because it was outside. Mm-hmm. And I met a new group of people. And these, you know, the women range from age. They've got, you know, women in their 30s, We've got kids in nursery school. My youngest is 15. My oldest mm-hmm. is 21. And, and you know, the, the older women on the courts are probably in their early 70s. Mm-hmm. So it's such an intergenerational way of of, of being. And yeah. it's so phenomenal to just... Be connected with new people and expand your your social um, I don't know connections so I, I, I love that I love that your mom is experiencing that um, Danielle we're gonna be moving near the end of our show we have a speed round but I don't want to move to that without asking you a little bit about how maybe your own fitness journey changed in writing this mm-hmm. book did it change at all did you you know was there something that you thought I'm doing that?
1: Tell us what mm-hmm. we <laughs> well um, <laughs> or not did, doing that. <laughs> yeah, it it made me want to do all of it. Um, I um I I think most of all, it just it deepened the the research process. Deepened my appreciation for you know the the forms of movement that I have access to for my running, for bar classes, for for all of it. I mean part of why I love hidden histories is because I do think for me, they give me just um, a deeper level of appreciation for things I might've otherwise taken for granted. Um, I also, I, I like knowing you know, that I'm standing sort of on the shoulders of um, these often very, these really powerful women who came before and had to fight for some of the opportunities that we have today. Um, and then like i like i said about moving in ways that feel good you know i think um while i'm not immune from <clears throat> from occasionally wanting to exercise to change something about my appearance um having that awareness of maybe why i want to change and what's influencing me and those those hidden forces has been really helpful for just kind of ensuring that my relationship with movement is as, as healthy as it can be. Um, even if that means, you know, being really gentle with the kinds of movement that I do. So, um, I love that you're, yeah. you're, you're,
0: smarter about the forces that, that guide and shape you. And that's, you know, it just allows you to be more educated. I think that's, that, mm-hmm. that's so smart. And I, and I second that from, from this book too. I, I know anyone who's listening to this who has, you know, ever, ever taken a bar class, ever taken a jazzercise tape, ever, you know, uh, had Jane Fonda on the radio would so enjoy this book. And it's just, it's, it, it's, a, it's sort of beyond exercise, honestly, and beyond fitness. It's about, um, as you said, women who are trailblazers. It's, it's com- completely and utterly fascinating. I can't recommend it highly enough. Thank you. All right, let's move into the speed round. So this is really simple. It's one two-word answers to a series of questions so we can end with some high energy. It's like it's like a step aerobics <laughs> end to a <laughs> podcast. Are you ready? I get, love it. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay, writing Let's Get Physical was? Amazing. If I could time travel, I would go back and take one of these now obsolete or out of fashion classes. An early jazzercise class circa 1975. Perfect. Which woman featured in this book would you choose
1: as a workout buddy? Ooh, many of them, but I have to go with Judy Shepard Missett, the inventor of Jazzercise, who is just joy incarnate. Very cool. I would love to grab a glass of wine with this woman in the book. I got to go with Jane Fonda. Yeah, me too. Invite me. We'll do it together. (laughs) Sounds good.
0: Strangest historical workout outfit thong leotards.
1: I mean, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Need I say more? Exactly. A piece of exercise equipment that you are happy to see relegated to the dustbin of history.
1: Many of them, but, um, you know, unfortunately I got to say this, the, uh, thigh master, um, yeah. just for, for everything that it implies. Exactly. Okay. That's cool. An exercise or form of exercise that has stood the test of time. Um. Dancing, you know, dancing is one of the earliest forms of exercise. And it was kind of codified with uh, aerobic, aerobic dancing and cardio dancing is still really popular today.
0: It's not going anywhere. Okay,
1: I want to add this exercise to my routine
0: someday. Weightlifting. Hard. I I confess. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Hard pass. This exercise is not for me. Boot camps. Finally, your one word answer to complete the sentence, as I age, I feel grateful. Very nice. Thank you, Danielle. This was utterly fascinating. I so enjoyed exploring this with you. Before we say goodbye, how can our listeners find you, your writing, and let's get physical.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. This has been so much fun. Um, You can find me on Instagram at Danielle Friedman Writes. I share a lot of fun archival vintage fitness stuff. I'm on Twitter at dfreedmanwrites. You can visit my website at danielle friedmancom And my book, Let's Get Physical, is available wherever books are sold, as they say. Um, Amazon, Indies, Barnes & Noble. Um, it's out there. Fabulous. I'm putting all of that into the show notes. Thank you, Danielle.
0: This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Join me next Monday when Omishade, Bernie Scott, creator of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, joins me to talk about aging, intimacy, body change, pleasure, love, spirituality and of course, menopause. Special thanks to Michael Mancini who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time and until then age boldly beauties.